It is so good to see you, Nick. I got a question for you, though. What you think you were gonna do? You gonna put on a mask? And make believe you were normal? Or I'm gonna catch up to you? We were a family. And you tried to kill us. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 222. Releasing July 19 in theaters on demand and digital is Into the Ashes, a stirring revenge drama that delves into the insidious nature of violence and the choices we make when confronted by those with evil intent. Starring Luke Grimes, Frank Grillo, and Robert Taylor, Into the Ashes is as thought-provoking and haunting a revenge thriller as they come, and I'm happy to say joining me on the podcast is the film's writer and director, Aaron Harvey. Aaron, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Into the Ashes, it's essentially, this is essentially a morality tale. Um, it's also a very um, character-driven movie. I'm curious, when you first come up with the idea for this script and you put pen to paper, so to speak, um, is it the characters or the themes of the movie that resonate through you the most, or does one thing kind of funnel the other? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, uh, for the most part, when I start, and especially with this film, it's definitely, it starts with a place of theme, you know, an idea of what I want to do. Uh, this movie, you know, sprung from a lot of films that I really love that uh, are very thematic sort of genre films, the sort of lonely man archetypal movies of you know, the later 70s, uh, Charlie Varick, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, you know, the, the Taxi Driver, the Rolling Thunder, films where, you know, it's like simple stories and characters uh, and plots for the most part, but they're saying something larger. The thematic implications tend to be more broad. And so with this movie, you know, I just, I wanted to sort of contribute to that vein of films and, and I wanted to write it sort of thematic genre movie and this movie about two men basically coming to terms with each other, you know, rectifying their relationship over a shared a mutual tragedy and then sort of couching it in a, you know, in a revenge film, so to speak. Um, but it definitely started with the themes first and then the character second and then the character in turn informs the story and kind of dictates what the story it needs to be to say the thing that the movie is trying to say. But it, for sure it starts, you know, at a place of theme uh, and the character and those are, they're kind of interwoven. But, that, you know, that's where this one began for sure. The film begins with a really interesting opening monologue. Um, it talks about the violence of the Old Testament, especially the story of Samson and how he slaughtered thousands with the with the jawbone of a donkey. Um, to me, when I listen to that monologue, to me that kind of tells me that what you're saying in your part, and correct me if I'm right, is that violence mm -hmm. is, is ancient and it's inherent within us. Is that what you're trying to get across uh, with that monologue? Uh, it is. I mean, that's part of it. There's two parts. Y yes, that's definitely a big piece of why Frank lets us hear it at the beginning. And in turn, it bookends the same exact, uh, with, the, with the continuation of the same exact monologue about Samson and like what would have happened, you know, if they'd have let him go. It, so it's speaking to the nature, that exact nature of violence. But then second to that, it's also, it, you know, in my mind for the story, it was this idea that, you know, Frank is a as a character is such a black and white kind of definitive person who's sort of bound by this rule of law that he's subscribed to. And so when he's, you know, it's always, it's very easy for him to sort of 
throw stones or, or make judgments when it's not personal. But once once this tragedy that happens to him becomes a personal thing, and then in turn he sees how Luke's character sort of deals with it, and it's, it, it, it basically will go to any length to rectify the situation. Frank has to deal with and understand it for himself because it's sort of his foundation is cracked a little bit, and so he doesn't know really how to necessarily process this because it's basically shaken his whole worldview. So the way that he in turn does it is he turns to scripture because he's probably a guy that came from, he was a church going guy down, you know, in the South there. And he probably, you know, the, the irony about this is that he uses this sort of metaphysical story and book to kind of filter his literal practical worldview through it, to gain a better understanding of the situation that he ends up finding himself in and, and that he's had to sort of, you know, bend his morals or, or, or be flexible on his morals, so to speak, considering the situation is now personal. And so he looks to that story, I think, to be almost like his excuse to maybe do what he does because he doesn't, you know, know any other way to sort of understand it, I think. And and that story, you know, is a similar story in, in one respect because it is a revenge tale, you know, for the most part. And so for him, it was it was a measure of finding understanding through that story. And then using that as an interesting motif and kind of an irony, you know, to sort of what happens to him and having him, you know, pontificate about it. I just thought it would be an interesting, an interesting way to sort of have him share his feelings, so to speak. <laughs> that makes sense. It, it does very much so. And another thing that I really got um, from your film was that it's, it's the insidious nature of violence as well. You have the character of Nick uh, played by Luke Grimes, he tries to escape this life, but it follows him. It almost seems like violence is drawn to him and the people around him kind of always get caught in the crossfire. Um, do you think that those who participate in violence can truly escape it or is it something that's always going to be with them? Because with Nick's character, he wears scars. There's physical scars, there's psychological scars and emotional scars. It's always with him. It can never really escape him. Do you think people mm-hmm. can escape that life that if they came from like a life of violence, if they participated in the violence? You know, I mean, in in real life, I guess that's probably a more obtuse question. There's probably more shades of gray there. You know, I think in terms of uh, the film life and the the way that these characters were, you know, no, I don't think so. And I think that you know, for the most part, you know, Sloan was almost like. Frank Grillo's character is almost supposed to sort of represent that, you know, it was almost, he was almost metaphysical, you know, I didn't want to make him too, like, too big for what the movie was, but at the same time, we wanted him to sort of feel like this apparition that, you know, it's like, it's, it's like the conscious behind Nick, or it's like, like you said, his inability to escape his past or his violence, the violent past, and, and sort of the choices he's made all the way up to that point, you know, in turn, come back to haunt him. And so there's, you know, if you wanted to get crazy metaphysical with it it's a little bit of that like you know Sloney but is he even real is that character you know does it just represent something I mean obviously it's a physical character he is a person in the movie and he does do what he does but you know I think that there was no way that Nick was ever really going to escape you know what he did in his past and yeah we get to see we sort of see the consequences of it and we see the tragedy that befalls him because of the decisions he's made in his life and so you know it's somewhat of a morality tale but also a very real, you know, uh, physical thing that happens to him. So, Let's, no, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he was ever going to get away. <laughs> no, and, and he certainly it does not. Um, I want to talk about casting. Uh, talking about the character of Luke um, of um, of Nick played by Luke Grimes. I've seen him in a bunch of film, film stuff mm-hmm. already. Haven't seen Yellowstone yet, but I've heard he's really good in that as well. But this, I think, 
um, is the best yeah. performance I've seen from him yet. Um, how did you know that he was the right guy to play the role of Nick? Uh, you know, that's interesting. A, a, number one, I do. I agree with you. I think he did a great job in the film. Um, two, I had, when we'd been putting together the list of actors that we were looking at for this movie, you know, I, I tried to make my list realistic. I was like, okay, who are guys that we could kind of get to where I think we'd have an actual shot at doing the movie with? And his name always kind of floated on the top of my list because, ironically, I had actually seen him in Yellowstone in that first season. It was coming out around the same time as we were putting this together, and so I'd been fortunate to get a hold of it and I'd watched it, and I thought, Oh, he's this guy's great, and he has this kind of salt of the earth thing going on. But he's known as you know, kind of this pretty boy from some of his other movies. And so, uh, you know, we sent it to his agent. He in turn gave it to Luke, and then Luke read it and really responded. And then when I got together with him in person for the first time and realized, you know, he owns a sixty-acre you know piece of property in Ohio where he goes and hunts, you know, and he's actually a, a really you know salty guy. Like he's just very grounded we just hit it off immediately and I was like, oh, he definitely is the essence of who this character is. And so, and he was very excited about showing that as well because, the, you know, this movie is more representative of who he actually is as a person than I think in, in his real life than, than not. So it just worked serendipitously. It was really nice, uh, you know, that he did the movie with us and I'm super excited with what he did. Frank Grillo plays the part of the antagonist Sloan and, um, Frank really is quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. It just seems everything I see him in is just solid oh, yeah. on the ball, and this is no exception here. Um, I notice as well he's also an executive producer on this film, along with a, a collaborator of his, Joe Carnahan, and both in there. Um, how did he come on board? Was it first in a production way, or was he cast first in a role, and then that part came a little later? Uh, no, he was definitely cast first in a role. He, same thing, he was on a list I had of guys I really liked that I thought would be interesting for the part, and then same thing, very traditionally, his agent sent it to him, he loved it, we got together, you know, it, it totally got on board really early on, and he, he definitely was a huge fan of the material and myself, and then over the the course of discussions before we shot the movie, that's where he kind of got involved, uh, involved more in a producerial capacity to a degree, him and Joe, they have a company together, War Party Films, and so... Uh, we kind of brought them on early on after Frank was cast, to, you know, to, to to lend a hand if there was anything that they could do to sort of help the production. But uh, no, it was for sure actors. Uh, he just, you know, was very into the movie and what it was I wanted to do with the movie, and so uh, you know, he he offered all of his support as much as he could beyond being just the actor. So that was great. I read an um, interview that you did um, back when Catch Forty Four came out, and um, there was this really great great quote in there where you said in regards to making films um write what you want to see and direct what you want to see um this is your third feature film now um is it Uh is it does it get easier to do to reach that goal and do what you want to do and make the films that you want to make um are you are you at that point now in your career that you think that um that you believe that you are doing that right now you are making the films that you want to see on the screen uh, I would, yeah, that's two two parts. One, it doesn't ever get easier. It's always a difficult, you know, laborious thing. I mean, making a movie, especially trying to do independent films like this that are more unique, I should say, and, you know, less amenable to kind of what the system wants, that's always a difficult process. But, you know, you fight so hard for them because it is the movies you want to see and the movies you want to make, at least me personally. And so, um, yeah, in terms of the actual, uh, you know, ability to sort of keep the integrity of the film and, and make the movie honestly, make the film that I really do want to see, 
yes, once we get to production, uh, it's become easier because I've also kept the films in, in enough of uh, you know budgetary check that I don't lose the reins too much in terms of the creative control of the film. And so, and, and if you've seen on the last two films, I've also produced them as well, yeah. primarily for that exact reason, which is, you know, there's only the only person that's going to protect the film really truly is you and maybe the partners you work with who are all have the same agenda. So it's gotten easier in that respect. And I'm, I'm happy with the last couple of films creatively, you know, because it's really the films that I set out to, to do, even within the limitations of the budget and time and everything else. So that's wonderful. And it's, you know, very fulfilling for that to happen. But in terms of setting them up, I mean, in the small independent films like this is always, it's always a difficult task. So you just got to really, you know, love what you're doing and put the energy into the films you really want to make, which is why, you know, uh, th you know, these are such priority for me because it's, it's really, it starts with a place of, you know, make the movie you want, make the movie you want to see, because if you do that and you do it, honestly, uh, you know, people will respond. And I'm not, you know, we're not trying to grab every low hanging apple on the tree. We're just, we're trying to focus the film towards the people that are going to really appreciate the film, you know, and make the best version of that movie that we can. So. Final question, Aaron, um, making the film is one thing, getting the film out there for the people to see is something completely different. I talk to a lot of indie filmmakers <laughs> and I talk to them about, um, new ways of distributing films these days and people to watch their films um you're moving into the ashes as well as meaning theaters it will be on digital or will be on demand um you uh, you are inspired by filmmakers such as freaking um and, and other filmmakers from the 70s and 80s and most of their stuff were made for the big screen they didn't have that small screen option before as a filmmaker in this day and age having that option to release your films on all different types of platforms for people to see anywhere um, is for you does that bring about um, exciting possibilities that for yourself and other filmmakers as well that they can put their films out there people can see it uh, whenever they can and do you like the idea of people watching your film um, on big screens small screens and every type of screen in between uh, yeah, I mean, two, again, two parts. Yeah, it's exciting that, you know, more people can get their stuff out there. I love that. I mean, the you know, open the floodgates if you can, you know, let people have access and, and have that release because it's, you know, it's certainly, it's helped me and then, you know, it's helped friends of mine that have done film. So, yeah, I love that idea. But, you know, then on the flip side of that coin, I'm definitely more of a Luddite in terms of, you know, I, I love cinema. I want films to be seen on a big screen. Of course, you want film in the theater. That's always the goal is to have people come and enjoy it where, you know, it needs to be enjoyed, which is on the big screen. So, you know, I, beggars can't be choosers per se. So I'm happy with the way that it works out. I'm glad that it is, on, you know, in theaters. But, you know, on a broad overall sense, I'm, I'm just happy people can watch the film anywhere. So, you know, yeah, if you have to watch it on your phone because that's all you can do, great. But, you know, preferentially, yeah, would it be on 3,000 screens? For sure. But the business has changed and the whole model has shifted and it's a little bit of, you know, adapt or die. So I guess you got you to gotta take what you can get and push for everything you want and see where it lands. And I'm just, yeah, I'm very happy that it's in theater so people can see it on the big screen. But definitely watch it wherever, wherever you can get your hands on it. <laughs> Whatever and works. And I agree with that 100%. So everyone out there listening, July 19 in theaters on demand and digital into the ashes. Um, I really enjoyed your film, Aaron. It really made me think a lot afterwards. And I really appreciate watching genre films that, that do that. So congratulations to you on the film. And, and hopefully I could see more of your films in the future because I like all of your work so far. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. And I, I hope so. I hope to keep making them. So <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about the next one. <laughs> Excellent. Until then, take care, Aaron. Thank you very much.
Thank you. You as well. Take care.